The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, the West Virginia Mountaineers take on the Baylor Bears on Thursday night in Morgantown. Uh, This is the first Thursday night home game in the Neil Brown era, so I'm pretty excited about that because it feels like it's just been too long since we've had a home Thursday night game. And the last time, I had to go back and look this up, the last time WVU played a Thursday night home game was October 25th, 2018 against Baylor? Yeah, the Baylor Bears. (laughs) And the Mountaineers walked away with a 44-point win that night. So we're hoping West Virginia can emerge victorious Thursday. What are your thoughts on the game? Um, Yeah, I'm not super optimistic right now, being how the the team's kind of um, looked against solid competition so far. So um, I guess we're going to see. I mean, Baylor hasn't been bad. Uh, The Big 12 is tough this year. Um, So... You know, this is going to be a really good barometer to kind of see where WVU stands. Because, I mean, Kansas has ha- had a great season. We lost to them. Texas, um, we'll get into a little bit, just blew out Oklahoma. And, you know, they've been up and down, but they beat us pretty handily. Um, you know, are we going to be able to show up against a quality opponent this year? I don't know. Um, but there's not very many gimmies on the schedule, if any. So this game is is a tough one. Yeah, which leads me to this one. You never want to put too much emphasis on one single game. Um, but is this a must win? Here's why I ask. If WVU and Neil Brown can get a win on Thursday versus Baylor, he can silence the critics for the time being. He can get the fans to buy back in. Um, and Coach Brown can finally notch a signature win on his resume because I can't really think of one single one up to this point, I guess if you want to count the Liberty Bowl win over Army. But additionally, look at the rest of the schedule. Teams who we once thought would be easy wins are now very scary teams for us. Coming into this season, I'm sure most people thought playing TCU in Morgantown would be an easy game. Not anymore. (laughs) Yeah, they're undefeated, looking like conference champ contenders. Um, Kansas State looks like a tough matchup for us because WVU historically has trouble against running quarterbacks. Texas Tech is a tough team this year. Sure, Oklahoma and Iowa State look like um, somewhat winnable games at this point, but you still have to play Big 12 heavyweights like Oklahoma State on this schedule. So the Mountaineers are currently two and three, and they need to find four more wins on this schedule. When you break it down, this home game against Baylor probably needs to be a victory if West Virginia wants to reach six wins this season. So what are your thoughts on if this is a must-win game or not? You know, I feel like we've been asking that question. Is this a must-win game for the past few weeks now? And honestly, I feel like it's more of, you know, an analogy for how Neil Brown's tenure has gone. Um, You know, every at least for this year, you know, it feels like the Virginia Tech, that was a must-win game and he won it. And then looking back, Virginia Tech wasn't very good. Um, the Texas game felt like a must-win game because Texas was floundering, and that was, you know, something that could really 
show that he's turned the program around, especially after that Kansas loss. And we realized that Virginia Tech just wasn't a very good football team. Now we're going into Baylor and, you know, game and Baylor might be the third worst team left on our schedule. So, I mean, we need to win this if we do want to get to six wins, because if we want to get to six wins, the six wins are going to have to be probably Baylor, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and us pulling an upset off somewhere. Um, you know, so is it a must win? I think every game going into it, uh, if Neil Brown wants to keep his job for another year, has to be a must win. Because at this point now, I mean, we're just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again and not really seeing signs of improvement. Um, you know, and in the fans' eyes, I think every game that Neil Brown can win or be competitive in or show some signs of life are crucial for him if he wants to continue, you know, not only being at WVU, but for any future, you know, coaching gigs. I mean, as offensive coordinator, he wasn't great, so he's going to hire him as an offensive coordinator if he gets fired here. And at head coaching, I mean, he's going to have to probably go to a much smaller school who's willing to give him a second shot and think that WVU is just a fluke because he's kind of shown that he's not very good at that either. So um, I know that really doesn't answer your question, but that's that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, Neil just needs to win regardless of who the opponent is. He needs to figure out a way to win because right now it's going to be hard to get to six wins. Yeah. I'm with you 100%. And plus, I mean, it's a home game. Um, you, you can't expect to win a ton of games on the road when you're struggling to win, period. And so you got to snatch up some home victories and really get momentum on your side, which kind of segues into our next segment is what should the expectations be at WVU? Because some fans are calling for Neil Brown to be fired. Others say he hasn't had enough time due to COVID. Um, the cover being bare, NIL deals, tough schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which begs the question, you know, what are our expectations for WVU and a head coach being here? Um, so I'll, I'll let you go first. What do you expect a head coach to accomplish while they're here? You know, I think, you know, if we're looking at a, a larger sample size, like if someone's going to be at WVU for, say, 10 years, I, I would like to see them average like, somewhere in the realm of like 7.7 wins a season. I mean, because that gets you some eight-win season. That gives them the opportunity to also lose when, you know, you just don't have the guys. You lose some of your best players because you can't hit 100% of the time recruiting. Um, so, no, that gives you the opportunity. And you, have you know, I think any WVU fan that comes out and says, we expect to win 10 years, 10 wins every year is ridiculous. I also think it's ridiculous for WVU fans to say, you know, I'm okay with five or six wins because historically, you know, I think we talked about it last week when we talk about, and we also tweeted it out about Neil Brown's winning percentage and how low it is compared to, you know, some of the coaches And the last time WVU fired a coach was at the end of the seventies. I mean, that just goes to show how stable this program has been. I mean, Neilan was great. Rich Rod was great. Bill Stewart went nine and three, three seasons in a row. Dana had his ups and downs, but his ups, he got us to a 10 win season and he did have a few downs, but that happens with the way that he handles his program. And Neil Brown has honestly been the worst coach or the worst coach on paper since Signetti. So, I mean, what is that? Almost 50 years. That's kind of goes to show you how stable WVU can be as a program with the right leadership. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think any of that is unreasonable. I mean, Dana had one losing season in that tenure that he had. I mean, sure, he had a few seven win seasons, which felt pretty disappointing, but uh, only one losing season. Whereas Neil Brown up to this point has one winning season. And it was on a COVID year where they didn't have to play Oklahoma and, you know, games that we honestly probably wouldn't have come out victorious in. So um, it's basically what we've expected from our head coaches for the past, you know, like you said, 20, 40 years. And so what? What now we've all of a sudden lowered expectations? I, I just don't understand some of these fans out here who keep uh, just trying to reach for any excuse possible. We chased Dana out of town because he thought he was worth more money. And WVU and the Mountaineer fans said, hey, you know, you've had some good seasons, but we expect more. That's essentially why Dana left is because, I mean, he was okay, but it seemed like we hit our ceiling with him. So he went to Houston and we looked for a head coach to get us over that thump. And now all I've heard, I've heard all the excuses for Neil Brown, but, and some are legit. I mean, the first year we heard the cupboard was bare. And so we gave him a pass that first year. Second year, we heard COVID slowed down his progress. So we gave him a pass. And uh, and he did have a winning record and sneaked out a bowl win. So we were starting to see some progress. But then year three, uh, we just weren't a good football team, plain and simple. They they barely made a bowl game. They looked terrible in it. Uh, and WVU finished with a losing record. Now we're in year four, which a lot of fans had high expectations compared to the previous three years. We finally got a bona fide quarterback. The offense can finally score. I mean, I only predicted seven wins, and I, I was pretty happy with that. And it looks like that's probably not going to happen. So the excuses just don't apply anymore to me. He has his players. He has his coaches. It's time to start seeing results. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I think part of the reason why I think Neil gets such a longer runway than most people normally would is just because the way that Dana rubbed people, you know, he wasn't embracing tradition he wasn't embracing you know the former players he he was an abrasive personality he wasn't super charismatic he just kind of went did his job went home and you know that was that he, he was very blunt and to the point and neil you know has that kind of southern charm to him you know he, he kind of you know speaks in you know more friendly ways to the media than others do and you know he, he kind of knows how to talk the talk but you know, that's all well and good. And that worked for Bill Stewart, but Bill Stewart also had nine wins a season for those three years. Neil Brown hasn't done that. I mean, you can be the nicest guy on the planet earth, but if you can't win, then, you know, good for you. You're nice, but you can't be a football coach, like go sell used cars or something. I don't know, but <laughs> um, it just, you know, it, it's kind of the difference. And I think he does get that longer runway because people just didn't like Dana and they they really want this guy to work out. But you know, newsflash, there are so many other coaches out there that, you know, are going to, would be happy to be at WVU. I mean, there's rumors out there that Hugh Freeze wants the WVU job. He's already contacted people saying, you know, if that job is get back to the power five, there's guys like Kurt Signetti and uh, James Madison, who has WVU connections from head coach, but he's won everywhere. Um, and then you have guys like Tony Gibson who have, has been here a long time and he's doing a great job as defensive coordinator at NC State. You know, every year for the past few seasons, they've had one of the best defenses in the country, you know, every year. So 
there's a lot of options out there and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there's another seven or 10 names out there that would be more than willing to come to WVU and hear, hear us out. And I'm sure that they can speak just as well and be just as nice as Neil Brown, but the products on the field would probably be improved too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't feel like any of this is a knee jerk reaction either. Like some people are claiming like people who are calling for a coaching change at Oklahoma, that's knee jerk reaction. Like that's <laughs> not being fair. But year four and no progress really being shown, um, I, I feel like that's more than fair. But, uh, you know, we've talked about this stuff in the past, so we'll see what we do on Thursday. Maybe, once again, Neil Brown and WVU can silence his critics for a little bit. So um, we wanted to update you guys on uh, just the Big 12 Conference in general because it was a fun weekend for the Big 12. I lost. I tried watching um, just about every Big 12 game I could because every game was just exciting. We'll start off with TCU stays undefeated by beating Kansas 38-31. to And this was a fun football game back and forth the entire time. Um, And credit to Kansas, who lost Jalen Daniels late in the second quarter. But backup Jason Bean tossed four second-half touchdowns and kept the Jayhawks in the game all the way down the stretch. Um, But, you know, meanwhile, TCU seems to be for real. They are 5-0, and Sonny Dykes has this team just firing on all cylinders, it seems like. They have a big showdown versus Oklahoma State this Saturday. And uh, that's the battle for the last two undefeated Big 12 teams. So um, that was a fun game to watch. Gave Kansas their first loss. But um, to me, that proved that TCU is going to be a big time contender in the Big 12 this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, they have such a really good you know, group of offensive guys. Max Duggan was a guy who, you know, last year I thought was kind of held back by whatever they were trying to do offensively. And Quentin Johnston is a freak i mean he's huge he's athletic um well he had over 200 yards in the touchdown against kansas and you know i i think the two coaches who took over there sonny dykes like you said and lance leipold at kansas have done such a phenomenal job and you know i, I you know not to kind of go back into the uh neil brown what the expectation should be topic but i mean i think guys like that have kind of shifted the perspective of what we should expect with coaches and how quickly they can turn them around because, you know, Kansas year two for Lance Leipold and, you know, they're already doubled their win total. They're ranked. Um, They're legit. And people are taking them seriously. You know, Sonny Dykes year one taking over from a legendary head coach, Gary Patterson um, and starting off five and oh, now we'll see if it can sustain, but I mean, you know, even Sonny Dykes was kind of a retread. He put, he coached at Cal and was not very good there, but you know, it works out. So, I mean, uh, I, I feel happy for these two programs because, you know, these aren't two of the programs that I hope end up at the bottom of the standings. Um, that would be Texas and Oklahoma, but um, you know, I'm happy for these programs and seeing they're going in the right direction. And it gives me hope for WVU because, you know, Kansas isn't a football school. And TCU, while they're in a big metro area, they're kind of the little brother to, you know, Texas and even Baylor um, in some ways. So, um, you know, good for them. And, you know, I love rooting for the underdog. It'd be great to see one of those two teams um, take the conference championship because, you know, it's fun to root for the little guy. I'm with you. Yeah. And I feel like the Big 12 just needs some new blood to emerge. I know Baylor, you know, won last year and they're not always up at the top, but uh, I'm with you. It's fun to see new teams emerging from the conference. 
but you brought up Texas and Oklahoma. Let's talk about that real quick. <laughs> Texas absolutely demolishes Oklahoma 49 to nothing. And Oklahoma is officially in a rebuilding year. They lost to Kansas State and TCU to start conference play. And then they get destroyed by the Longhorns. They are at the bottom of the Big 12, along with Iowa State at 0-3 for their conference record. Meanwhile, Texas seems to be on the rise after losing to Texas Tech. They they have now blown out Big 12 teams in back-to-back weeks. So what do you think of Texas ascending while Oklahoma is having a very uncommonly bad year for them. Yeah, I, I you know on the Texas front, um, I feel like that Texas Tech game really woke them up. I wasn't sure if it would just because of how Texas is. I mean, as a program, normally um, they also got Quinn Ewers back, and he was great as expected. That's big for them, and you know, who knows? I mean, uh, they could end up being. I mean, what they they only have two losses, so I mean, they could still vie for a conference championship game. Um, but then again, they could also kind of regress into old ways. It's hard to t- tell with Texas talent wise, especially on the offensive side of the ball with Ewers, Robinson and worthy. That's probably one of the best trios in the big 12. Um, but it's about consistency. And some of these other teams in the conference who were ahead of them in the standings seem to be more consistent. So um, I think Texas is a good football team, but are they consistent? I'm still not sure on that. On Oklahoma, um, I think the expectations were just way too high on Brent Venables. Um, I mean, he he's a he should be a good head coach, but with Lincoln Riley leaving and all the players that left after Lincoln Riley left, that's hard. I mean, for anyone to come in, like I think a lot of people did and said, you know, Oklahoma could probably win the Big 12 and they could do this and that. And I think that goes into the respect people have for Venables and he's a very well-respected guy, but he he's in a tough situation. I mean, he's going to be able to rebuild quick because it's Oklahoma. You can get or you can get players there, but it's really hard to rebuild that quickly in that short amount of time. Whenever Lincoln Riley just bolted and took basically probably the top three or four guys on top of guys who were committed to Oklahoma that they were expecting to come into the class and those guys, those top guys decommitted and went elsewhere. So um, don't overreact on Oklahoma. They'll be back. I think Venables is going to be a, a great coach. Um, but either way, you know, um, when these two teams leave with the showing that we saw from, like we said, TCU, Kansas, and teams that we're going to talk about here in, a, you know, the rest of our recap, um, the future Big 12 is going to be really fun. No bad teams, really, it seems like. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm with you. Yeah. And it's important to mention uh, Dylan Gabriel starting quarterback for Oklahoma was out. So I'm not saying Oklahoma would have won, but they certainly wouldn't have lost by 49 points if they had their starter in there. But uh, still, I don't think anyone's crying any tears for Oklahoma. But uh, moving on to the 3.30 game from Saturday, Oklahoma State defeats Texas Tech in a hard-fought game. I really enjoyed watching this game, and I think it proves Oklahoma State is currently the team to beat in the Big 12. Um, Even though they were playing from behind, they proved that they could win a game even when they aren't having their best day. And, I mean, that's, that's what all the best teams are able to do. Even when they're not firing on all cylinders, they can still emerge victorious. But um, I will say props to the Red Raiders um, who, 
you know, they've played well throughout this season, even though they've had to use two quarterbacks, but really they've used three at this point. Um, they had Morton start the game for them and he had a great first half, but got injured late in the second quarter. You could tell he wasn't a hundred percent in the second half. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with, um, the way tech played, but regardless, Joey McGuire seems to have the red Raiders trending in the right direction. Um, like I said, it was just a good game to watch between two competitive teams. Yeah. I mean, again, another, um, coach that's kind of rebuilding on the fly and Joey McGuire was really lauded by a lot of people because they thought he was just the right guy to turn things around. Um, in Oklahoma State, you know, they've been playing close games, but I think that, you know, Mike Gundy as a coach is fantastic. Um, Spencer Sanders, you know, last year seemed to be a little turnover prone. Last time I checked, I think he only had one pick on the season. So he's kind of turned it around and he's a dynamic player. Um, and, you know, while I think Oklahoma State's defense is nowhere near as good as it was last year, I still think it's solid enough. And I think the offense is dynamic enough to really run away with things. Um you know, with Gundy as coach, I think he's kind of due for a conference championship. It's been a while since they've kind of been in that that top spot. Um, they were there last year, but, um, you know, Baylor was, you know, took it all. So um, this is the year. And, you know, it'd be great to see a team like Oklahoma State make the college football playoff because, you know, it's a different face than, than Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. So, um, you know, it's going to be fun. I'm... Uh, Happy for Oklahoma State and, you know, Texas Tech, you know, that again, that's a, that's a team on WVU schedule that is going to have to be a win if we get to six wins. So it's going to be um, interesting to see, you know, how the season progresses for WVU and how we approach that game here in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I would be perfectly fine in Oklahoma State making it to the college playoffs because, you know, Oklahoma and Texas are Bolton. So, of course – no Big 12 fans should want them in the college playoffs. You want a team that's staying in the Big 12. So I would totally be fine with that. So the last game on Saturday was Kansas State defeats Iowa State 10-9. to Not going to lie, I didn't get a chance to watch this game, but wow, defensive game. This Iowa State team seems to be dreadful offensively. Their defense has been great in conference play, so um, they're always in games, but their offense just can't win them a game this year, it seems like. Meanwhile, Kansas State is at the top of the Big 12, going 3-0 and in conference play so far. Um, Martinez has been great in Big 12 play, um, so that's going to be a tough matchup for WVU when we play Kansas State. Uh, they're an interesting team, so what are your thoughts on these two? Yeah, I feel like Iowa State is kind of in a tough spot. They lost so much talent last year. I mean, how do you replace a player like Brees Hall? And Brock Purdy was just rock solid for them for, what, three or four years. So, I mean, it's tough. Um, but, you know, 9 to 10, that's a baseball score. I wasn't expecting a score that low. Um, and that might be Iowa State's saving grace is their defense. You know, that that's one thing that Coach Campbell has always been kind of pretty solid at with his unique-looking defenses, the way he brings pressure from all over confuses offensive linemen and um like you said martinez has been great all year but they held him to 10 points so um you know that could be tough for wvu because our defense is bad and if you could stop our offense that could be a low scoring game um with kansas state i mean a lot of people pick them as a dark horse to win the big 12 and they're quietly like you said in first place so it's gonna be interesting to see you know how they're gonna face up against some of the more heavy hitters I think they have the talent to do it, though. I mean, especially offensively. And I think 
their coach is really good. Um, so again, another quality big 12 team. And right now the big 12 has half of its teams ranked five of 10 teams are ranked in the top 25. So that's great for the big 12. I really wish WVU could have been one of those teams though. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Um, all right. So, I mean, let's start breaking this matchup down. Let's talk about West Virginia's offense versus Baylor's defense. In my opinion, this is the key to the game to me. The Mountaineers offense needs to get going early um, because West Virginia's defense just isn't good enough to allow a late comeback. We're just not built that way on defense. So um, to me, the Mountaineers just need to get an early lead. They can't afford to be trailing early like they did against Texas. That's just a recipe for disaster. And um, so hopefully we're front runners in the first half. Um, let's get the crowd going early and get some momentum. So how do you see WV's offense matching up against Baylor's defense? You know, um, looking at Baylor's defense, the thing about them that's different from last year is they don't have a guy who is just a one-man wrecking crew. And last year that was Jalen Petrie. Um, who's doing really well um, in the Houston, Texas right now. Um, and, you know, you, I think last year he was a guy that we highlighted before the game and he absolutely wrecked us. Um, I think he had a pick. Um, he was in our backfield all game. He was just all over the field. This year, Baylor's playing a little bit more as a unit. Um, run defense, they seem to be really, really good. 2.8 yards per rush they've um, allowed so far. But their secondary isn't that scary. Um, their best players that are safeties, their corners aren't great. So I think this is an area where if WVU can withstand their defensive line, which again, they don't have one kind of stud. They just kind of work well as a, as a unit. And they do have, um, you know, I can't think of his name right now, that massive guy that gave us problems last year in the middle. Um, you know, uh, that that's good. We got to control him, but um, WVU is going to have to attack that secondary um, right now. Uh, the weakness seems to be deep downfield um, right now. So far on the season, teams have completed seven of 10 passes for 214 yards and two touchdowns on throws longer than 20 yards downfield against Baylor secondary so far this season. So um, it's going to be interesting to see that matchup with Bryce Ford Wheaton going downfield, Caden Prather going downfield. If they can win those one-on-ones, if they can get separation against these cornerbacks, because it's those matchups, they should win. But are they going to? We'll see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Baylor does have a stingy run defense. They're only allowing 96 rushing yards a game. And, uh, you know, the Mountaineers need Tony Mathis and Justin Johnson to get the run game going. They they can't make JT Daniels be the entire offense like we saw against Texas. Uh, he's going to need some help. So the offensive line needs to be physical, open up some of those run g- lanes, because we didn't see that at all versus Texas. And um, honestly, I thought we'd see a little bit of Jalen Anderson since C.J. Donaldson's out. But I was listening to Neil Brown's press conference today, and he basically alluded to it's going to be just Justin and Tony taking on all the carries. And he said, you know, if one of those two guys get banged up, we do have Jalen as our third running back. So um, it sounds like it's all on those two. But obviously the line needs to be physical and help them out. Uh, but you did um, mention Baylor. They're the type of team who likes to drop two safeties back. It seems like their front normally takes care of the run game. And so burning them can be difficult. But you mentioned teams are seven for 10 when they do take those chances. And I think the big key is 
is the having early success running the ball, moving the chains by dinking and dunking, and then having those safeties start to cheat up a little bit to stop that short and intermediate game. So um, I think that's going to be a big factor if the Mountaineers want to have success Thursday. They they need to be successful running the ball and getting um, those short and intermediate passes going early. Yeah, and, and running the ball, you know, looking at Baylor's defense, it's kind of hard to figure out where best to attack them because – you know they have they have a cornerback um, and their safeties are both really good in the run game, so you know, they do drop back, fill in really well, tackles. So you know, the, uh, originally I was thinking, you know, maybe we should try some more stretch for, stretch runs, get outside those big physical defensive linemen, but with those safeties who come in and fill so quickly, that might not be the answer. So it's really going to, like you said, you know, maybe. Uh, with Michael Laughlin out, that's huge. You know, Brian Poland hasn't been a great lead blocker. So, you know, how are we going to get going in the middle? Because you really need that extra guy in there to go out there and clear out that extra lane. Because even if you're going to get three yards, that's over what Baylor typically allows per rush. So um, I'm interested to see what Graham Harrell draws up to figure out how to get past that really stingy Baylor rush defense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to – to see what they draw up early on. Because as we mentioned last week, I was not impressed with the uh, the scripted plays to start the Texas game going eight passes in the first nine plays. Um, I think if they try doing that again this week, it's just going to lead to a lot of early punts and maybe being down early. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, we're definitely going to have to try to get those safeties to come down a little bit. And to do that, you need to run, you need to hit your short passing game, whether it's screens, hitting running backs in the flats, which we haven't really done all season. Um, you know, I it, been trying to figure out where your best going to be able to run. I feel like the strong side of our offensive line is that right side with Doug Nestor and Jordan White, if he's able to play. Um, so maybe trying to, you know, you don't want to tip your hand too much, but try to run a little bit heavier to that side because that side has been a little bit better at creating push, creating gaps. Um and so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm really looking for kind of the X factor on offense this, this week to be, again, kind of Bryce Ford Wheaton. That's who I would kind of pin it on because while he started off really, really hot the first few weeks, he's kind of cooled off the past couple of weeks, and Caden Prather has kind of taken the driver's seat. So um, Bryce Ford Wheaton could really have a big game this week if he's able to kind of bounce back from the past few weeks he's had. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing will be getting uh separation. I don't know why, but Bryce Ford Wheaton has just really struggled to get separation from his defender because for a while there he was leading the nation and contested catches, which is awesome. But that also means you're being draped a lot, which means you're not getting away from your guy. So on one hand, it's a good thing, but on the other hand, it's a little concerning. Yeah. And a lot of that, a lot of the catches he's making too, if you look at kind of where he's been best is those little slants and stop routes. Um, those kind of seem to be staples of Graham Harrell's offense, which I can't complain about. Um, it works. So um, those are routes that's a little bit harder to get separation on. But even when he gets vertical, like you said, I mean, the, even those are contested catches. So I don't know if it's his route running. And, you know, I don't doubt his athleticism because I feel like he's really, really athletic. So, um, I'm not sure if he has a tell, um, but I feel like this is a game that he could potentially be the player of the game type player. Uh, you know, a couple touchdowns, 
um, over 100 yards. I think this is the game to do it if he were to do it and get back on track. Yeah. Here's hoping. So all this leads us to West Virginia's defense versus Baylor's offense. Um, Blake Shapin had some rough games in non-conference play, but he's been really good in conference play. He's really found a stride, it seems like, against Iowa State and Oklahoma State. In those two games alone, he has nearly 600 passing yards and five touchdowns. So I think a big reason for his performance against the Cowboys is he's got his speed weapon back in Baldwin. Um, The wide receiver seems to be healthy again. That's bad news for West Virginia because he's a heck of a wide receiver with dangerous speed. So um, how can WVU slow down shaping the Baldwin? Because I think that's going to be a big factor this game. They need to force him to throw outside the hashes. Um, It seems like just looking at his numbers that he really prefers to throw in between the hashes. He loves to throw down the middle. Um, You know, listen to these numbers and you'll kind of get the picture. Um, So if we look at um, in between the numbers, um, 20 plus yards, he's five. He has nine attempts, five completions, um, 10 plus yards, 18 for 29. Um, anything past the line of scrimmage, 36 for 41, um, behind the line of scrimmage, nine, that's all in the middle. But if you look down the left side, four attempts, three attempts, five attempts, five attempts, the right two attempts, five attempts, 15 attempts, seven attempts. He loves throwing to the middle of the field. So, um, try to make him uncomfortable, try to take away that middle. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how WVU chooses to employ that, but I think, you know, we have and an, we have some good players in the middle. I mean, Kopja, um, Lowe, uh, Aubrey Burks, you know, those are probably our best, I mean, guys at the second level. I mean, they're obviously not world beaters, but it's not our cornerbacks. So um, I'm really hoping that we're able to kind of funnel things outside. Um, and hopefully our cornerbacks can be solid enough to not get beat and make Blake Shapin's numbers on the outside look better. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if that has anything to do with arm strength, because typically quarterbacks who don't have strong arms, you know, are afraid to throw outside those hash marks. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that, but that's a very good possibility. Yeah, I I guess I haven't really watched Baylor enough to really know. But um, another guy to look for in their passing game is tight end Ben Sims. He's not a guy who gets a ton of yards. But he leads Baylor in receptions, and you know, good tight ends seem to have big days against the Mountaineers. It seems like for decades that's always been our issue. So I could see our secondary getting a little too worried about Baylor's speed on the outside, and um, Sims having some big plays down the middle. As you just alluded to, that's where Shapin likes to look anyway. So as always, the key will be to pressure Shapin, disrupt his timing, and just uh, force him to do things – He's not comfortable doing. So we'll see if the Mountaineers can do that on Thursday night. Um, Here's another interesting thing I heard in Neil Brown's press conference. He says Charles Woods is out at least another week. Um, So I'm not sure how to read into that. I don't know if that means he can possibly come back after the Baylor game or if he's just playing it safe and saying that, you know, he's definitely going to be out Baylor and we'll just reassess it then. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'd love to have him back, but you know, another thing that I really wish Neil would have taken the time to do is, you know, get some of these young guys more reps while he was out. So that way we have a better idea of who's going to be starting across from him. Um, 
obviously, you know, I don't want to rush Charles Woods back, especially where the season's at. I mean, he would make a difference, but I don't know how much of a difference he would make when the rest of our secondary has just been atrocious. Um, one guy can help, but I don't think they can single-handedly win things. So it's going to be interesting. Um, another key that, you know, I kind of wanted to focus on too for against Baylor is, is pressuring Shapin, like you said. Um, you know, when he's not pressured, he's completing 77% of his passes for 952 yards and seven touchdowns. But when he's been under pressure, he's only completing 42% of his passes, 166 yards, two touchdowns in the pick. So uh, that was that that was below my screenshot. So kind of forgot to mention that. So I wanted to throw that in for the listeners to make sure they understand that, you know, Blake Shapin is immortal and there's a couple ways that you can uh, take advantage of him. Yeah, that, I mean, that's good stuff. I mean, that tells us if we can just get in his face, force him to throw outside, we could really have some success in their passing game. Um, but that brings us all to what Baylor does best. Baylor's strength on offense is their offensive line. They're big, they're physical, and they proved that to us last season when they pushed WVU's defensive line in any direction they wanted. So the Baylor's run game averages 187 yards per game led by running back Richard Reese. So getting the run game going is always their primary goal. And, um, you know, how do you think WVU's defensive front can slow them down? I mean, I I think that our defensive front is our best weapon, but um, I'm interested to see how we kind of approach um, their attack because, you know, we saw against Pitt where we were running more of a four-man front, and that seemed to work pretty well against a Pitt team that really wanted to run the ball against us. Against Virginia Tech, we did that five-man front with the one linebacker, and that seemed to eliminate their rushing threat. I wonder if we would employ a situation because, um, well, obviously you have to worry about Baldwin. You have to worry about Shapin. Um, you also have to control that running game because that's kind of what they want to build things off of. And their offensive line is really good. Jacob Gall is one of the top centers in the country. He has the sixth-best pass-blocking grade, third-best run-blocking grade in the nation. Um, he's ranked top 25 in both of those stats as well, regardless of offensive line position. Uh, Micah Mazuka, I'm probably going to butchered that, but he's their left guard. He's there. He has the third highest run blocking grade in the nation for a guard. Um, and their rest of their offense line, none of them are slouches. Really, the only weak spot is uh, Connor Galvin, their left tackle, and he's only bad at pass protection. He's allowed nine pressures and four sacks so far this season, but um you know the running backs are good i mean like you said richard reese he's for 17 missed tackles so wv's gonna have to wrap up and that's something that the secondary has had trouble doing um he has six rushes for over 15 yards this year um he loves running to that left side of the offensive line where he's averaging 5.8 yards per carry the one thing that really stood out to me was how small some of baylor's best players are um you mentioned richard reese he's 5'9 175 pounds um, Craig Williams, their backup, 5'9", 168 pounds. Um, Baldwin is 5'9", 164 pounds. So, I mean, e- these are really small guys. Um, so I think WVU could really, you know, if you can grab a hold of them, you can bring them down. I'm really hoping that they can take advantage of their lack of size and physicality and, you know, corral them. But at the same time, Deuce Vaughn last year from Kansas State shredded us and he's smaller than all three of those guys so um it's not just about the size it's about how they use them so (laughs) 
That's right. Yeah. And Baylor likes to run a lot of stretch plays in the running game. So as, as you were saying, you know, taking good angles and not missing tackles is going to be a key to the game. So hopefully they clean up those missed tackles that they had against Texas, because if they do that against Baylor, they're just going to control the clock and it, it's not going to be a pretty day for us. So, um, you know, the only other thing I have left is I, I know we don't have a lot of returning starters on defense, but I hope guys like Dante Stills and guys who played in that game last year can use that as motivation. And because, I mean, we got absolutely manhandled on offense and defense last year against Baylor. And so we're at home. It's Thursday night. I just hope they have that in the back of their mind because that can be a very motivating thing heading into a game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is a, obviously that Texas game has to be sitting in the back of their mind for just how bad they kind of came out and played all around. Um, I'm really hoping that similar to what Texas had after that Texas Tech loss, that bounce back, that kind of reinvigoration of energy, um, WVU can kind of mimic and come out with some energy and feel like they're fighting for something because you know, that's also going to be telling on how they feel about Neil Brown. Is the team going to step up for him or are they going to kind of slip and give up? Um, it's going to be interesting to watch the body language, the energy, especially on a Thursday night in front of all the fans in Morgantown, how the team comes out. And it could be a really good indication of the direction of the program um, and how the players feel about where we're at too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. If you lose the locker room, there's really not a whole lot of places you can go except out the door. So we'll see. <laughs> um, the last thing we got uh, is, you know, something that was big news a few days ago. Tailgaters in the blue lot apparently can't tailgate until five o'clock due to hospital employees and visitors needing those parking spaces at the hospital. Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently this has always been the rule. We just haven't had a Thursday night game in a while, but my God, you, you would think, you know, this was the worst news ever because tailgaters were losing their mind. Um, I mean, we're not blue lot guys. We're over in the silver lot. So I suppose if you pay good money for that pass, you want to be able to use it early party a little bit. Um, but come on, man, what are we doing? Are we really saying a bunch of drunks need the spot more than hospital employees? Like, you guys still can park and drink for two hours. And if you need to do more than that, you know, go somewhere else and, and party a little bit before you go to the parking lot. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I can't believe that this made so much noise. How dare you save lives when there's beer to be drank? <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's not like we're above it. We like getting there early and and putting a few back too, but... Jeez, Elise, there were, there were so I'm many people up in arms online. What's that? I'm all for the doctors. I'm being sarcastic, guys. I'm all for the doctors. So. <laughs> Don't think that, you know, I'm supporting the people who want to be gross and Porter Johns. <laughs> we just wanted to bring that up, guys, because, you know, we thought it was kind of a funny story. But uh, that's all we got for this week. Uh, we'll be at the game. We'll be rooting on our Mountaineers. So if anyone has tickets, if anyone's a season ticket holder, we encourage you try to do your best to get there. Support the Mountaineers. I know some people are saying attendance might be as low as like, you know, high 40,000s. Um, I really hope fans turn out for these 
for these players. And even if you don't like the way the direction the program's going, you got to go out there and, and, and support your team. Don't be fair weather. Yeah, and, and if you don't want to go to see the game, you can come to see us. You know, just shoot us a message. <laughs> we'll do some autographs. We'll sign pictures, you know. Um, yeah. We're kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're modest. We're, we're not too big for our fans. <laughs> all right guys that's it for us we really appreciate you listening we'll do a recap on this i don't know sometime over the weekend or sometime next week hopefully we're talking about a big win for neil brown and our mountaineers so until then we'll see you next time thanks everyone